0: hearts. We'll take your Bibles go to Colossians chapter 4 this morning. Colossians chapter 4. <clears throat> well, I believe this will be our last week in Colossians, and uh, we'll wrap up the book of Colossians, and um, I kind of just want to go back and start over again. Um, it's, um, I'm, I'm thankful for every time I go through a book of the Bible um, and be able to preach through a book, study through a book. And just be reminded of all God has taught us and instructed us in. But as we come to this last section, we'll be reading verses 7 through 18 of chapter 4 this morning. You know, I, I think of often when I read a good book, and maybe it's a biography, especially biographies. And if you, if you don't like biographies, I would encourage you to develop a taste for them. Um, but reading a biography and learning about someone who's maybe been gone for several hundred years and learning from their life. It's like walking with a a dear friend for a time and getting to know them and and experiencing things that they experienced through the page of the the book. And then I always come to the last chapter and it's like saying goodbye. And you close the book and I can't tell you how many times that I close the book with a tear in my eye of thinking, man, what an impact. What a life. And what a, what a God to use a life like that. Uh, and so I would commend that to you. And I kind of feel that way this morning as we come to the end of this book. Uh, what an incredible journey through the supremacy of Christ, of seeing Christ as all in all and everything, seeing him lifted up. And we come to these last words of Paul's greeting. And not only are we saying goodbye to this book, but Paul is saying farewell to those in Colossae as well. Um, we often will say something like this, and I know what's meant by it. When we leave this world, it's not goodbye, it's see you later. You ever ever heard that said before? Um, But I I got to thinking about that, and I'm like, well, what's, what's the word goodbye mean? And so I did a little etymology search on goodbye. And in the 16th century, goodbye was shorthand for God be with you. And that's how it got shortened to God be with you. And I thought, man, what a great way of concluding this is just to say paul is looking at these people and saying god be with you and how does he close it out the very lines and we'll let this be our title this morning but the last line of verse 18 grace be with you grace be with you and here paul is saying goodbye and so i want to preach to you this morning from this text and we'll entitle the message grace be with you let's read verses 7 through 18 and then we'll pray together tychicus will tell you all about my activities He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that he that you may know how you are and that that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him Onesimus our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus my fellow prisoner greets you and Mark the cousin of Barnabas concerning you whom you have received instruction if he comes to you welcome him And and Hierapolis, Hierapolis, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. When this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, Lord, for the inspiration of Scripture and the preservation of these words to this day. To have insight for what our church needs to be following from you through the hand of the Apostle Paul. Father, thank you for the list of these servants that we just read. Thank you for their faithful service to you and to the gospel ministry that allows us to be the benefactors of their sacrifice. And Lord, thank you for the countless thousands of others who stand in the gap between this first century church and us today, who have faithfully preached the gospel, clean buildings, open doors, Turned on lights, swept hallways, taught Sunday school classes, and thousands and thousands of other opportunities that they've done to just keep moving the ministry of the gospel one more year, one more generation. And Father, as we read this this morning, may we take upon us the weight of responsibility to hand it off to another generation after us. Father, we ask you that you would find us faithful. Work in our midst as we walk through this text together today. It's in the precious name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. So we come to the last week of our journey through Colossians. The names of this text could be a road map through Paul's missionary journey. And as a matter of fact, you could walk through this and pick out different names and say, oh, I know where he joined him, and oh, yes, he was there with Paul, and we'll look at some of that as we walk through it. We definitely also could see in this list of names a microcosm of the New Testament church. What do we find in this text? We find Jews, those of the circumcision, and Gentiles, Luke, others that are named here. Jew and Gentile, slave and free. Onesimus, Archippus. These names are all a picture of what the church is, that God has taken those from all backgrounds and all walks of life and has gathered them together together. In a group called the church this called out assembly that is doing a work and we see this familial loving communication from the apostle paul to people that he knows that he's wept with that he's worked with that he cared for and he's sending this greeting to them and inside this greeting as is a custom with paul there's some instruction he's not just going to say see you later He's going to say, see you later, and don't forget to do this, and see you later, and make sure you do that, and uh, you know, Paul is almost kind of like your mom when you're heading out to school, right? It's like, hey, I love you. We'll see you. Don't, did you forget your, don't forget that. Hey, don't turn that note in, and there's the instructions that go with the hugs and kisses, and Paul is putting his arms around them. He's offering those welcoming greetings, or those goodbye greetings, but he's also giving them the instruction as they walk out. Paul pins these words shortly before his ministry will come to an end, and depending on where you draw the timeline, within a year to two years from this time, Paul will have his last day of ministry. And history tells us that Paul was beheaded at Rome, that he was executed for his faith while after being imprisoned prison there, and yet Paul and Timothy, in 2 Timothy says, the time of my departure is at hand. He said, I am ready to be offered. Paul did not shirk from that at all. But here he is, even in the last years of his ministry, he's writing with boldness and clarity about who Christ is and what Christ has done, and then he's commending that work to a group of people. Now, I'm just going to take just this outline this morning and give it to you of the people of Paul's heart, the instruction on Paul's lips, and then the observation that I receive from Paul's words. We're going to walk through those this morning. And let's look first off as the people on Paul's heart. Verse number 7 through 9, I want you to see a little line here in 7 through 9. And and he says this in the end of verse number 9, I believe it is, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. So this first group of people that we're kind of lumping together is the messengers from Paul to the church at Colossae. And Tychicus and Onesimus are the two names of the men. And Paul is sending them to Colossae. And very likely, he is sending them with the very scroll that we're reading this morning in their hands to take to the church of Colossae. And they're going to that city with delivering this message. And this letter is going to be stood up in front of the church. And they're going to read it. And can you imagine the excitement and the buzz that must have been when Tychicus hit town? Hey, did you hear? Tychus is in town. He's got a letter from Paul. Paul wrote us a letter? Yeah, Paul wrote us a letter. We're going to gather uh, next Sunday on Lord's Day and say, can we do it sooner than that? I don't know. Let's ask. And I can imagine the messengers running around town and they gather some night together and the church gathers in the room there in uh, Nympha's house and they gather in the back room where she had set that aside for them to gather and maybe a candlelight or an oil lamp was lit and one of the men stood and began to read this passage from Paul. And you could imagine the excitement that would have been in Tychicus because he's like, I know what's coming. And he was carrying that letter to them. And so this is Tychicus that we see first. What does the Bible say of, of Tychicus? He's a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant. We see him mentioned in four or five other places in scripture, but we don't know much more about him than this. We just know that he was used to deliver uh, more than one epistle to a church. He was sent to Ephesus on one occasion, and here we see Tychicus doing the work that he was commissioned to do as a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant. Onesimus is the next one here, and I, I, I didn't mention this, but Tychicus' name, I love this, it means faithful or fateful or fortuitous. He was the one that came in at the right time. Onesimus, his name means profitable. That's an interesting study if you ever want to open the book of Philemon and see Paul's play on words with Onesimus' name. Onesimus' name means profitable, and yet he says, hey, Philemon, I want you to receive the one who was unprofitable, the un-Onesimus, receive him as Onesimus now, who is now profitable. And he does a play on the words the entire book as he walks through that little letter back to the church. But Onesimus, who is he? He's a slave. Probably his master was Philemon. We know that's the case by the book of Philemon. But here in this text, Paul does not call him a slave. Because the letter to Philemon tells him you don't receive him anymore as a slave, as a bond slave, but you receive him as a brother. And here he calls him, and it's the picture of what the gospel is doing to transform the society around them. as he's calling him his brother, his faithful and beloved brother, and I love this phrase, one of you, one of you. And he said, this is Onesimus, he's coming. And again, I think Onesimus and Tychicus were given the job of carrying the letter to Colossae. And very likely with that letter came the letter to Philemon in his very hands. And they're coming back to that city, returning there for the first time since Onesimus had left. And Paul had reached Onesimus in prison. The book of Philemon tells this to us. These are people that are dear to Paul's heart. We see of the circumcision in verses 10-11, through 11, Aristarchus, Mark, Justice. Aristarchus, we find him in Acts 27 when Eurachlidon hit Paul. Aristarchus was on board that ship with him. Aristarchus witnessed Paul's journeys firsthand as he traveled to Rome under Roman guard. And we see these men, Mark, Mark, he jumps off the page, doesn't he? Marcus, he said here, or Mark. His name means a defense. It's the author of the the Epistle Mark. When you open the, the book of Mark and you read it, you've got, the, the John Mark here has written this epistle to us, and he's the same one that Paul refused to travel with in Acts chapter 15 when he went back home early and Barnabas said, hey, let's give him another chance. And Paul said, I'm not going to deal with that mama's boy anymore. And Barnabas said, well, I'm taking him. Well, I'm not taking him. I'm taking Silas. And Paul went one way and Barnabas went the other. And aren't you glad that even when good people disagree, the gospel can still go forward? And we see this in Mark's name, and yet what do we see at the very end, and I mentioned to you 2 Timothy, Paul is going to write in 2 Timothy, and he's going to say, hey, send Mark with you, send him, he's profitable to me for the ministry. And Paul here is commending Mark, he's commending Aristarchus and Justice. I love this, because here's what he says of these men, he said, they are the only ones of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. The circumcision would have referred to Jewish descent. And these would have been people that kind of knew Paul's background better than anybody else. And and I can only imagine what an encouragement these men could have been to Paul because they would have gotten the nuances of Paul's argument like the Gentiles wouldn't have gotten. And as Paul is talking about things, these guys go, oh! yeah and then they would help Paul explain no doubt to what Paul was referring to and connect the dots for people and here's what he says about them and and I, I just love hearing these words they have been a comfort to me this word comfort literally means they have been a medicine to my soul how many of you can think of somebody right now that you spend time with them and their love for the Lord Jesus Christ Their walk with God, their patience with you and your shortcomings, you can look at them and say, they have been a medicine to my soul. The Apostle Paul is writing, and what words that flow out of his pen under the inspiration of spirit as he says, you have been a medicine to my soul. We see those of the circumcision. We see not only them, but we see Epaphras. Well, we, we, we met Epaphras already in Colossians chapter 1, 7 through 7-8, and Epaphras jumps off the page at us because he's praying for them, he's concerned for them, he had taken word to Paul of what was going on in Colossae, and now Epaphras is there, and he's saying, uh, Epaphras, who is one of you, he's greeting you now, Epaphras very likely brought Paul the message of Colossae, and now Epaphras is there with Paul, we don't see him returning yet, we see him staying there with Paul. But he said, here's what I want you to know about Epaphras. Look, if you would, in verse number 12. And here is he's the one that's written the most about in this text. He said, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greet you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. This word struggling means to agonize. It's the same word that Paul talked about his struggles early in chapter 2 and 3 when he talked about what he was struggling with. He said, hey, Epaphras is agonizing with you on your behalf in his prayers. And what is Epaphras praying for them? That they may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. He said, I, Epaphras wants you to know God's will. He wants you to grow up and he wants you to stand sure in this. This is what Epaphras is doing for you. And he said, and I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. You can look around and see saints that have gone through the years, and you can say, I can bear them witness they've worked hard for you. Here at Paphras, Paul is commending him back to the church of Colossae. He said, man, not only has he worked hard for you, but those at Laodicea and Hierapolis, Then he uses these words, Luke, the beloved physician. Now Luke jumps off the page at us, doesn't he? We just looked at Luke chapter 1 and 2 for about four weeks. Luke is the historian. He's the one putting everything in perfect order so that he could give an orderly account of what had taken place in the life of Christ. Luke begins to pin the words down to Theophilus to tell him what had gone on in this story. He said, so that you can understand it and you can have a clear understanding of what took place. And Luke was that physician who went with Paul throughout his missionary journey. He pins the Gospel of Luke, but also he pins the book of Acts. Here's an interesting study for you sometime. Take the book of Acts and listen to the tense of the author as he writes. Because what you'll hear is you'll hear someone writing They did this, they did this, they did this, and then it'll change. Sometimes in mid-sentence, we did this, we did this, we did this, we did this, and then it'll change. They did this, and then it'll go back. We did this. And what was happening? Luke was dropped off someplace, and they left and went on their journey, and then they picked him up again, and Luke is, we did this, and he's recording this with detail. And he's recording the journeys of the Apostle Paul as they walk. And you can't think of someone that you have to be more vulnerable with than your doctor. You know? And he's this is my beloved physician. Some commentary said that there is no way Paul could have done what he did had it not been for the traveling physician that went alongside of him to care for his physical body, to record what was taking place, and to encourage him along the way. These are intimate relationships. Demas. Nothing else is said. Demas says, hi. Demas is an interesting study. We find Demas, fellow servant, one place. next place we find Demas, we see him just as Demas. And the next time we hear of Demas, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. In commentary and maybe taking a little maybe too much license here, they said maybe Demas is already on his way out. But all we get from him is just Demas. And what we see is that there are people who are a medicine to our soul. There are people who are the beloved physicians walk with us in ministry but then you have Demas and I don't believe there's any sense in which Paul is angry with Demas but grieved I think Paul has gone beyond his spirit of I don't want John Mark with me to being grieved over Demas' departure from the faith so there are people that will comfort our soul and then there are people that we will weep over because they walk away from the faith. I don't like the idea of pastors downing their people. The fact is, some church people can be knuckleheads. None of you, okay? None of you at all. It's the 11 o'clock crowd. We'll tell them that. So, so. the... Um... And it's very possible for someone to be Obtuse at times, and even hurtful at times. But the thing that grieves, I think, Paul's heart, and you know, in pastors, we say silly things. And one, one pastor I heard say, he said, some people are a joy wherever they go, and some people are a joy whenever they go. So, <laughs> I think that's funny, but I don't think that should be our motto. Um, the, the fact is, there ought to be a grief in our heart. When anyone turns from the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. There should be a heaviness and a burden that we would pray for them. So we see Demas who would forsake Paul. There's very little mentioned of Nympha. We don't find her any other place in scripture. Because of a textual question, some of your translations may even read he. Nympha is a he or a she and that word could go either way in the tense of it. Nonetheless, whoever this person is, they have opened their home, and whatever great room they had, have, they've have allowed their home to be used for gospel ministry. Their house is open, and Paul says, hey, I want you to, to greet those of the house of, in the church that's in her house. Archippus, he's a minister, tell Archippus to stay faithful to his ministry. Possibly an interim pastor while Epaphras is away. Possibly one of the pastors that labored, elders that labored with Epaphras when he was there. But he says, tell him to be faithful to the ministry he's been given. So we've seen the people on Paul's heart. Now let's see the instruction on Paul's lips. Look in verse number 10 of our text here. He says this, in the last line of it, he's talking about Mark here. But he says, if he comes to you, welcome him. And so there is an imperative or an instruction for us to welcome those who are on their way to share the gospel with others. There is an imperative for all believers that we would facilitate. The production of the gospel and those that are coming through our area to do just that. And as we bring missionaries across our stage here, we put them on the screen. We are following the imperatives of the New Testament to welcome them. And if you were to go to John, Third John, verses five through eight, sometime and read it, Third John, John encourages. He said, "Hey, I want you to support them, to help them on their way, to give them what they need to go on their way, and to meet their needs and help them do that." And we are following not some concocted idea of modern technology but this is a new testament principle that when people are going with the gospel that local churches all around the world would help them go and do the work of the gospel and so we find him giving the instruction here i believe in its early stages of continuing to support and encourage and strengthen ministers who are going to other places he says this, he said, I want you in verse number 15, give my greetings to them. And again, this, this leans in, this imperative or this instruction that Paul gives. He says, give my greetings, verse 15, <coughs> to the brothers at Laodicea <coughs> and to Nympha and the church in her house. This leans into Paul's heart behind all that he's been saying and all that he is saying in this, in this concluding word. But this word, this greetings that he's saying, give my greetings to, it means to draw near to yourself. If we were to put it in southern language, if my grandmama was writing this, she would say, give him a hug for me. That's what Paul was saying. He said, hey, do me a favor. Hug the brothers next there for me. Tell Nympha thank you. Pull them close to you and tell them that they're important to the work of ministry. You say, well, we don't even know who Nympha was. We don't know anything about her. We do know this, that she'd sacrificed her resources to advance the gospel ministry in this town. And Paul says, give them a hug for me. Number next, verse 16. And when you read this letter, have it read among you. I'm sorry, when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter to Laodicea. The letter to Laodicea, I believe, is the book of Ephesus. I think that's what he's referring to here. This region was receiving these instructions and while Paul is saying, look, I've sent letters to this church and that church and this church. Can you imagine all that's going on with this? These people get a letter from the apostle Paul. What are they going to do with that letter? I guarantee you they're not sending their original down to Laodicea. They're sitting down, and they're making a copy of that letter. And they're like, hey, can you make me a copy? And they're making other copies of the letter. And there's copies getting copied, and they're sending them out. And they're like, hey, you take this and down to Laodicea. You know, and I bet that that place over there, they're going to need one too. So take it over there and go down to Hierapolis and drop a letter off. And, hey, and make sure you pick up the letter from Laodicea and see if you get a copy of that. And we'll bring it back here and get a copy over to Hierapolis. And the gospel message of Scripture is being copied, and there's a buzz going on. But here in this buzz that Paul is saying, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to publicly read Scripture together. And i would be honest with you, several months ago when we began the study through Colossians, as I was reading this, this, I was reminded of this very text. And I said, you know what? We need to do this more. And so we just started our services way back then of opening up the Scripture and let's just read the Scripture together. And and I know that sometimes we get together and we open the text of scripture and we read it out loud and it can be something of a perfunctory thing. I get that. And I know that we can fall into that routine. But let's not forget what a treasure it is that you and I have a copy of the holy word of God in front of us and we can gather and hear it read in our hearing on a weekly basis and that God's word has been revealed to us and we hold it in our hands. Let's let's not, let's, let's stir ourselves up again and again to be reminded of what a treasure that we hold. You see, this church didn't have 75, 80 copies of Scripture in that gathering. There was a few copies of some of maybe other Paul's letters. There was a few copies of Old Testament Scriptures. But when Tychicus and Onesimus when they arrive here uh, at, at the church, there's one copy of Colossians, And I mean, there would have been anticipation. There would have been excitement about, hey, we're going to hear what the Apostle Paul has to tell us. And man, I can only imagine as they open it up and you know, Epaphras is mentioned and, and he's read in the text and he's like, I know Epaphras. Oh, man, it's good to hear about him. And you can see people sitting next to each other and, Onesimus is in the room and Nympha is sitting over there and and, and they read the end of this letter and whoever's sitting in the Nympha goes, you got mentioned. (laughs) You're in Paul's letter. That's really cool. These are real people doing a real work and in love with the word of God as it was being brought to them. He says, so I, I, I think the instruction Paul gives us is public exalt the word of God, say to Archippus, verse 17. He says this, say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received of the Lord. That's an interesting admonition to give to the entire church. He said, Archippus has been given a ministry, but I want all of you to tell Archippus, fulfill the ministry you've been given. And that's why I see Archippus as an elder in the church, Because the entire church is saying, don't quit. Finish your work. Finish your work. It's it's almost as if it's a mild rebuke. With great encouragement, it's correction, but with an encouraging tone. Finish the work you've been given. I think we have an obligation to encourage ministers of the gospel, both inside our church and around the world. Finish the work God's called you to do. We can say that to our Sunday school teachers that labor with our children's ministry. We can say it to our Awana workers. We can say it to our teen workers. We can say it to our growth group leaders. Finish the work that God's called you to do. Finish the work. Stay faithful at the work. This work is not done yet. The trumpet hasn't sounded yet. God hasn't called you home yet. Finish the work that God's put in your hand. And then Paul says, remember my chains. Literally, it's the only thing that Paul's asking for himself here. In, in, in Timothy, in 2 Timothy, he's going to ask for some books, for some copies of scriptures, and for a coat. But here in this text, he says, would you just remember that I'm suffering? Remember that I'm bound. But the Word of God is not bound. And I think we have to remember those who struggle... In gospel ministry and let me just say thank god for a church that remembers the struggles of one another and let me just encourage you to continue on looking at having eyes open and prayerfully meeting the needs of those that are struggling around you. In your growth groups, in in your, uh, your different gatherings, and in your different ministries that you know, and your friendships that you develop, and we care for one another and pray for one another, let it always be the case that we're remembering the struggle. But then think of those today that are in chains today for the gospel in places that you and I will never travel, and we never even can quite comprehend what that would be like, that someone is truly arrested for preaching Jesus. And yet it goes on right now across the world. You see, I think remembering those chains is not to put us into despair, but to put us on our A-game, that we've been given a great responsibility, and though they are in chains, you and I are not in chains today, and the Word of God has never been bound, and so let us use the freedom we have to proclaim Jesus where we are. And let me remember the needs of those around the world. So we see the imperatives on Paul's lips. And finally, the observations from Paul's closing words here. These are my observations. And so you can search the scripture and see if you find these same observations there yourself. But this is what jumps off the page of me. First off, in the first century church, there was a hunger and a need for clear communication. Now, they didn't have as much communication ability as we do today, but there was still a need for it. I think if we're not careful sometimes, it's the abundance of communication that causes the confusion. Paul's communication was one letter read in the gathering of the church, and people gathered to hear it. But there's still a need for communication, to share our hearts with one another, to tell of sacrifice, to tell of prayers. To help. And let me just say this let's make sure our communication is Christ honoring communication. You know, as we walk through a church, you are going to have times where people rub you wrong. Guess what? I am going to drop the ball. Randy usually never does, but someday he might drop the ball. One day. Maybe. Maybe. Caleb will make a mistake. Our staff will miss something from time to time. And it's easy at times to be frustrated with those things. But let let me just encourage you not to only communicate that, but communicate it to the right people. And then when something positive is happening, communicate that to everybody communicate that and spread the rumors of good news of what God is doing in your life. Communicate your prayer requests. Walk together and understand that communication is needed in every generation and it's needed from the pastor to the people, from the people to the pastor. Both ways, it's necessary, both up and down. The communication lines. Evangelism is God growing a family, not a transactional business. This is something that I think can, that hits kind of at our American kind of production chain mentality a little bit, is that we see things as a production and you get the, you get the Henry Ford supply line in place and you get the machinery in place and you put an unbeliever on one end of the factory and he comes out a disciple on the other. People don't grow that way. The church doesn't grow that way. Brother Ron, you recommended a book to me four years ago now, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. And I've read that book uh, about one and a half times through. And it's a challenge to my heart that people don't grow the same way we think they will. It's It's not a one and done. It's a process of walking with people through generations and through years of seeing disciples be developed and grow in gospel ministry. See, God is growing a family. and the gospel, it's always urgent. It's always an urgent mission. But I'm glad to say this morning, it's never a frantic mission. It's walking together patiently, proclaiming the gospel, doing it faithfully, and letting God give the increase where God sees fit to give the increase, and trusting that God is more interested in lost souls than you and I ever will be. That God is going to raise them up. You know, and I, I remember as a kid, I would go to evangelistic meetings and we would have these pushes for evangelism. Now, on a Sunday, let's just take the number 200 that comes to Shelby Bible Church. And uh, we have many more than that that come in a month's time. But if we took 200, you realize if 200 people could win 10 people to Jesus this year, and then those 10 people. The next year could all win 10 people again. And those 10 people could win 10 again. In eight years, we would reach 20 billion people. Guess what? That ain't the way God chose to do it. It don't work that way. But what would work is you talking to your neighbor this week. And what would work is you stopping the lady at the diner this week and saying, Hey, could I pray for you? And what would work is you being in the car line and Making a note to your teacher when you're picking up your kids and saying, hey, I just want you to know that our growth group prayed for you this week. Thank you for teaching our children. And you just never know what seed you're planting, what relationship you're developing that God is going to give the increase to and is getting a gospel vision for the fact that every person we pass is in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that God gives the increase as he sees fit. Evangelism is God growing a family. There are no solo acts in kingdom work. Beloved brothers, plural. Faithful ministers, plural. Fellow servants, plural. Here again and again, it is not a solo act. Paul is not saying this is what I've done. This is what I'm accomplishing. This is what we are doing. This is what we are accomplishing. We all have different roles but the same goal. Our same goal is his kingdom, his service, his church and we're accomplishing his work for his glory. But nobody's doing this on their own. Everyone that is a part of the church is called to gospel ministry. We get this idea somehow or another that Getting saved is a get-out-of-jail-free card, and then you get to decide whether you want to be a disciple later on. That is not how the gospel works. If you've been born again, you're a follower of Christ. You're following Him. You're pursuing Him, and He is working in you and developing you to be more like His Son, and He's doing that work through all the circumstances of life that He puts in you. You see, here's the thing. The day you accepted Christ, you joined the fight. You're in this battle with us. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior this morning, again, this is not a transactional thing. This is a change of heart. This is something that the Spirit of God does within us, and we respond in faith to the work being done, and we become a new creature. And if you can explain it to me, you understand more of scripture than I've ever come to understand. It is a miracle when somebody is made a new creature. But when you've been made a new creature in Christ, you're not on the sidelines. You're in the fight. There's no solo acts. And then finally, men and circumstances may fail us. Men and circumstances may disappoint us. But neither of these, neither the chains nor the demises, alter our mission or shake our God. Our mission stays the same and our God stays the same. And here is the reality of it. I don't care how dark the world gets around us. I don't care how bleak the outlook is or how how cold the winter is. God's not changed by the winter, and God's not changed by the circumstances. God is still the same, and our mission is still the same. Preach Jesus. And I challenge us this morning, as Paul concluded, let me conclude with Paul's words. Grace. Be with you. Grace. What was Paul asking? Be with them. May the unmerited favor of the work of Christ stay your sustaining truth wherever ministry takes you. Grace be with you. And this week, as you go, the thing that will sustain you is grace. May Grace be with you. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you for the sufficiency of your word. Father, thank you for this wonderful book that we've opened and now closed together. Father, may we continue to meditate upon what you've taught us through it. Lord, I pray, Father, as we walk into the next season of our church's life and the preaching time here, that you would be honored and glorified in that as well. Now, Father, help us to see the work of ministry ahead of us. Help us to join the fight. To connect with believers around us and understand that we don't do it alone. To Chart our course and to keep walking forward. It's in the precious name of Jesus. We ask all these things.